Welcome back to another episode of Drive the Bid Podcast, brought to you by AutoHunter.com. As all along, I know. so they should know our quirks and whatnot now. So. Don't, don't do it. I was going to say, don't finish that sentence. What sentence? Oh, no, no. We are a totally yeah. different entity. There you go. Yes. No, I <laughs> get it. Uh, so before we get started, Jeff, why don't you uh, tell the people what is AutoHunter.com and ClassicCars.com? Yeah, absolutely. So Drive the Bid is brought to you by uh, mostly our auto, our online auction, which is autohunter.com. So that's a seven-day online auction platform for cars and not just cars. We've had trailers and including um, some other uh, storage home units as well come across the site. So Storage home units? What does that mean? Uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, trailers, Trailer, motorhomes, like, yeah, type we, things. We, just had our, we had our first non-motorized vehicle the other day. We, yeah. took a, we took a submission on an Airstream trailer. So I think that's what you're trying to go for there. And fire trucks and motorcycles. Correct. So yep. great diversity of collector vehicles, um, limited, not limited by a bunch of things, obviously. Um, but that's great. Well, one of the things we've just added that we're really proud of is we actually include professional photos now if we have it in your area with every listing fee. So that's super exciting there. It's just $129.99 as the seller is all you would see. And so there is a 6.5% commission for the buyer side. But it's super friendly. Obviously, we have a bunch of live customer support representatives that are there by phone call or email, uh, whatever you prefer. Jeff is one of those. I am one of them. Um, So that is one of the things that we are super proud of. And then, of course, we have ClassicCars.com, which helps drive AutoHunter, which is our online classified marketplace that has over 35,000 vehicles on the site currently. So if you're looking to just check out or peruse what's available, that is a great way to find a vehicle by searching for it. Excellent. So autohunter.com and classiccars.com bring you this podcast every week and we're happy to have you listening and would love to have you over there buying and selling some cars as well. So gentlemen, we have a subject this week to chat about. What do we want to chat about? It's a very exciting topic. Actually, Derek should take this one away, I think. Yeah. So this morning on the way in, I was brainstorming ideas for what we could talk about on this next episode. And one of them that I brought up with Brad and Jeff was getting ready for not just a summer road trip, because that's around the corner, but tailoring it more to our line of work, going on a summer road trip in a collector vehicle, the things that you would need to bring with you. When you say summer road trip, I think we can break that into a few categories. Mm -hmm. You have your hour, two-hour drive from home. You have your maybe weekend in the mountains. Like a day trip. And then you have your full-on, multiple-day, couple thousand miles, driving the car cross-country. Maybe you just bought a 1955 Buick and you want to go to the Buick Nationals. We're glutton for punishment. And they happen to be in Ohio. And you're like, you know what? I I live in Sacramento, but the Buick Nationals this year are in Ohio. I don't know for a fact where they are. I'm just making this all up. And I want to drive there. But I want to drive there in my 55 Buick. So how do I do that? It's funny so. that you mentioned that because the amount of scenarios that just popped into my head for reasons that you could be road tripping a car are almost endless. Like the first one that I've thought about personally is like if you're interested in buying a car that's maybe in another state or country in some cases and then flying to it, one-way ticket, right? Sure. Buying the car and then driving it back, which sure. is a totally different risk in its own right, but we'll talk about that today too. 100%. Maybe we should have waited for a couple of weeks because I'm actually doing that myself in a couple mm. weeks. So We'll have to have like a post. We'll have to have a post update yeah. of how it went. Yeah. Well, and then we can get into what you're actually going to bring with you, the length of the trip, all that kind of sure. stuff. Uh, my time machine though, I just came back. The trip, ah. the trip goes totally fine. <laughs> oh, perfect. If there's no issues, <laughs> nothing bad happens, everything is great. <laughs> Yeah, there, there, yes, yeah. there you go. 
Yeah, but it's happening in two weeks. So what car are you taking? Update that. I'm not taking a car. I'm flying to a car that I'm buying and driving oh, it home. Oh, yes. Are, yeah, you, are yeah. you willing to share that car now? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, I purchased a Porsche 944, which is the same kind of car that Mr. Jeff here owns. My ego just inflated. So yep. I did not purchase it for any reason that Jeff suggested. Well, that's um, upsetting. It was just because the deal came up. I always liked the cars. I was joking with a friend about purchasing a 924, which is the earlier version of the transaxle water-cooled Porsche. Um, and my friend happened to be considering selling his 944. And he's like, why don't you just buy my 944 instead of buying a 924? To which I was like, I really want the 924, even though I know that actually and objectively and not even an opinion the 944 is a better car it's a newer car it's a more advanced car i just like the 924s but then he made me an offer on a 944 and i was like oh, okay i um i'll be buying this 944 so i am flying two states away to purchase the vehicle and drive it home so it's like 800 miles 700 it's a good way to get familiar with the car yeah for sure yeah oh yeah, yeah. well for sure what I will say, Brad, is we've had a, a lot of debates about this. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're kind of off topic. Uh, Already but, off topic. But it's interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Um, but Brad and I have gone back and forth on whether the wide body or the narrow body 924 is superior. And I want to point out that I am full-fledged on the 944 side for arguing it's sure. superior uh, Porsche genetics um, as far as where it comes in the front engine family there. Um, but I am super excited to have another 944 here in the Valley. So that's sweet. Well, I only know narrow body versus wide body from Mitsubishi Starions because mm-hmm. that's the world that I come from. And I've owned both. And while the wide cars are newer and more tech and by technical numbers, they handle better uh, and they have more horsepower. So they're higher top speeds faster. Yep. <laughs> but the earlier cars with their narrower track, it's almost like almost four inches overall narrower track between a wide and a narrow Starion. They're a much more playful car. So in my brain, and I, I prefer the earlier looks because it's like the true look of the car before. And don't get me wrong, the mm, wide body flares are super cool. I was going to say, as a rally guy, I think you would appreciate the flares. Are, the flares. flares are super cool. I love them. But I like the early narrow cars in both the 924, 944, and Starions mm-hmm. because it shows the designer's original true intention for that body style. That being said, I, really aren't I don't think that the flares ruin it. I think they add a lot to it. They do. But I also like the earlier car. And I'm just being pedantic in general, I guess. I just, I like them all. I'm going to try a 944. Drive it for a while. 944's got different transmission, different engine. Sure. And works. maybe I'll fall in love with it and keep it forever. Or maybe I'll realize it still hasn't scratched my itch to own a 924. And it'll be easy to move from a 944 to a 924, I think. So... Anyway, back on subject. All right. Back Show. road trips, yes. which I guess it wasn't too off topic because it is for a future road trip. Yes. But let's start with the basic Shortest necessities trip. you should have in your collector car. Your collector car doesn't have to be a 1955. It could be a 1995. Mm-hmm. It could be whatever your car is. That's your secondary car. You only use it for enjoyment, Enthusiast. enthusiasm. Yeah. You'll, you only use it for taking the family out for ice cream or going for a cruise up in the mountains mm-hmm. or driving to the beach or taking Again. to a car show. The pl- pleasure use of a vehicle, not the so many driving to and from work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's tons of reasons to go to places. So I think it is very dependent on how old each vehicle is that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. 
I know that the two examples I just used, 95 and 55, you're going to have a different kit for each. But regardless of what year the car is, a limited-use vehicle, you should always have a couple of things on hand. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing you should have on hand is a small toolkit that Agreed. you make for each individual car. If you have 10 cars in your collection, make 10 small toolkits. They don't need to be expensive, fancy toolkits, mm-hmm. but just have the common size wrenches and ratchets that you need for that vehicle. So an American car, you want some standard sizes that so, run the vehicle or... Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you point that out. So I, you have to do your research, but even a lot of new American cars, right, will literally have 10 and 13 millimeter bolts sure. on a lot of the, you know, stuff that you would consider doing on this side of the road that's easy for most yeah, people. Yeah, metric Batteries stuff is a lot more common now things. than it used to be at American cars as well. Right. So it's that's... It's, it's do research and find out what your car needs. But I know I'll, I'll use one of my cars for an example that because I do build a small toolkit to put in each car. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, my 1978 Dodge Colt. So it's a Japanese car. Technically, it's a Mitsubishi. The only thing Dodge about it is the emblems. Mm-hmm. So it's all metric fasteners. I know what sizes I need because I've worked on it enough to know that I need you know, I need a 10, I need a 12, I need a 14, mm-hmm. I need a 17, I might need a 19, but that's probably about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need a Phillips head screwdriver. I'm going to need maybe some kind of a pry bar, a small pry bar, and maybe a flathead screwdriver to inappropriately use as a pry bar in smaller areas when needed. So, see, yeah, I think that's, I was thinking like, I think there's a certain part of this, it, it has to be tailored, not just to the car, but you know, especially on older cars, the sort of idiosyncrasies, like if you've had it for, for a sure. while, like, oh, I know this is, you know, sometimes goes out, so I'm going to be prepared for this. Yeah, for sure. And an example of a Porsche, you have what they call that, the DME. So, yeah, so the big thing for 944s, and I guess most of the front engine cars suffer from this, is the fuel pump relay. Yeah, the, um, the air-cooled cars do, too. Some of the later ones, yeah. Um, DME relays. Yeah, but the like DME relay, that. that is pretty much a, uh, everyone talks about it, hey, you know, First thing you should buy, it's like 20 to 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Buy your fuel pump relay. Keep it in your uh, Put a spare box. one in the glove box. Right. Put a spare one in the glove box. Yep. So these are just like, like common things like that that you know you need. So every car I have, regardless of whether I do long road trips with it or not, has this a similar toolkit. So in that particular Colt, I know I have a 10, 13, 14, 15, and a 17 wrench. Mm-hmm. I have the same size in a 3 h drive socket. And I have this, obviously a you know, I ratcheting ratchet to go with those sockets. Mm -hmm. You don't need to spend a lot of money on these tools. They don't need to be snap on tools. They don't need to be anything fancy. You can literally buy these little toolkits at Walmart, Walmart, Harbor Freight, your auto parts stores, Home Depot. They all have super cheap 15 to $20 tool sets with a hundred percent. And you take out the, you don't need the whole big case in your car. You take out the stuff that you know you're going to need and you put it in a little bag or you can buy on Amazon. They sell fairly inexpensively tool rolls, which the advantage to the roll is that you put these tools in the roll and roll it up and it's tight and doesn't rattle around at all. The disadvantage to the disadvantage to the roll is when you're out of space, you're out of space. Right. <laughs> it's not like a bag that you just throw everything into. So I generally use a bag. Um, I buy the same bag for every car. Uh, this will be a uh, non-paid promotion here for the black and red Husky bags they sell at Home Depot. Ah, interesting. They're like $7.99. They're super cheap. They zip up tight. They, they're fairly small and just the right size for that amount of tools. So Yeah, so I, I take uh, 
slightly different approach to that. What I do is I buy the sort of prepackaged plastic cases sure. um, that they come in. So uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, there's um, toolboxes that essentially come pre-organized with specific hard spots for sockets and all that thing. So you can buy one of those and that'll come with a range. It'll come from everything from like a four millimeter to like a 13 millimeter socket. And then you can buy something like that that'll come with a ratchet, um, all that basic stuff. Sometimes it come with screwdrivers, Allen keys. It just kind of depends on the kit. But those are super convenient because those have their own container. You just chuck one under your seat or whatever, um, wherever your space is. You can buy extra stuff if you have specific tools you need. And then you can buy the super dirt cheap screwdrivers that have both different sizes of Phillips and flatheads that you can switch in and out. That's typically what so I find. So the reason best. I don't use those uh, is because there's no extra space to store other stuff in there. Right. And generally, they rattle around a bit. So if I have the bag, I can put everything in the bottom of the bag. And then I usually have a pair of mechanics gloves that go on top. They keep the dampening down for the sound of the tools rattling together, but they also fit in the same container, some zip ties, some electrical tape, all the stuff you think you might need all fits in that one little convenient bag without having multiple things to put in. But that's just personal preference. That doesn't matter. Yeah, Brad, I think as I long as you have the tools. One. So I pay $500 so <laughs> right. they don't rattle. Okay, Brad? All sure. Right. Anyway, know, moving on. Along the uh, the prepackaged route, you know, that you can do the same with like uh, a roadside hazard kit with a reflector yep, triangle, sure. mm-hmm. maybe flares, other pieces of kit, and then first aid kit as well. You know, you've got, you know, your your fixed sizes, your three kits right there, the tools, uh, roadside, first aid, you know, squirrel them away somewhere. They usually are pretty, you know, thoughtfully packed. Regular preparedness stuff, yep. Yeah. Yep, that's all important for regardless of how long you're driving the car, you should have that kind of stuff. Right. Especially in an older car. Mm-hmm. That's maybe not as much of an issue if you have a, you know, brand new Porsche for your fun car. Can't relate. You probably don't need. Don't yeah, know what none of like. us can relate to that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, unfortunately, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we tend to play with the older cars ourselves, right. which is how we all wound up in this position here to talk about this older car road trips. So, those are the basic things. I think the one last thing that I do like to have, particularly on the older cars, especially car with carburetor, <laughs> but any car is a fire extinguisher. Yes, I can speak from personal experience that those can come in handy. Yes, actually you can. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, as it turns out, cars can catch fire, whether it's fuel or electrical related. You would never know. Um, So yes, fire extinguishers are a good one, especially if you want to save your your car. But it's more important to save yourself, so. Yeah, don't. Get out. (laughs) Number one tip is don't endanger yourself to save your car, right? Right. But yeah, I think that a fire extinguisher is an overlooked thing a lot. And I hear too many stories every year during, you know, driving season of people losing their car to a fire that maybe could have been prevented. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that goes without saying. I mean, we, we skipped over the whole make sure your car is ready for the road trip. Yeah. <laughs> We're I just I think making sure, yeah. like, fuel lines and brake lines. That also depends on the trip, pressure. right? Like oil changes, for example, right? If okay. you're doing a cross-country road trip, you definitely want to do an oil change before no, of course. you'll probably be doing mileage that'll pass it. But if you're doing a day trip or maybe even just a few hours, you might not necessarily be driving enough to break that oil change oh, no, of course. mileage. So it's, it depends as well on that, but some of that goes without saying yeah right? I, I think that we kind of we'll, we glossed over that because it, like you said it goes without saying you want to make mm-hmm. sure the car is ready to drive yeah we're, we're we're saying these are emergency kind of rations not like like you know like well the car needs brake pads but i'm gonna go anyway and maybe i'll change them on the side of the highway halfway there like you would change your brake pads before you left if you need a brake pads that's the kind of thing I'm right about. right yeah, I, maybe you wouldn't and maybe some of those are much longer wear items yeah. <laughs> maybe you wouldn't who knows but it's just one of those things that you, you would, I would think that you'd already have prepared before you left. You wouldn't leave right. in bad tires and be like, I'll get them halfway there. Right. Unless. So 
you happen to know somebody be, halfway be, there with tires for think you. About your, take a half a second. Think about your maintenance. Is this sure. going to expire during this road trip? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the things where, it, let's say you have all the tools, you know what might go wrong, and for whatever reason, you're out in the middle of nowhere, your fixes don't work then there's the things that you need to have in a worst case scenario like that. And these are more, you know, personal. They're not so much mechanical, but you know, like bottled water, snacks, sunscreen, things like that. Your favorite, yes. co- your favorite Definitely company. Definitely have stuff water. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. What, yeah. yeah. It yes, could be a very trying time. So yes. you need some whatever comfort. helps with the drive. Your security yeah. blanket. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Now I, I do want to steer this in a more unconventional direction as well as far as other things to have and are we so, going off topic jeff no we're staying <laughs> on topic but i'm i'm being uh, i'm trying to be original um so the first one i want to point out is triple a i get that was my next point was going to be ah. that because this particular discussion we're having we're talking about a quick quicker road trip we're talking about maybe driving an hour or two away you, to a car you event should have AAA or whatever no matter what. and triple a is good especially for with older miles. vehicles not necessarily AAA, but some kind of roadside assistance. It's usually good for 100 or 200 or whatever plan you pay for. Yes. I know I have it through my insurance company on the older cars. So. I was going to say, I, uh, there's there's some certain companies that may start with an H that you may be familiar with for classic Correct. vehicles. Yes. And some of those companies do include uh, limited tow service. And a fun fact that I found out, if you read some of your specific like use terms for mm-hmm. credit cards... Some credit cards actually yeah, also include yeah. um, 100 mile tows. So if you do your research, you may already have coverage um, for your vehicle in the event that something happens. Um, but obviously, AAA is one of the more common ones. Common. And yeah. if you have 100 miles in AAA and 100 miles in your credit card, then you can combine those. A little bit higher, right? It depends on what you pay for. Right. So Which is different. A yearly they have fee. different levels. Yeah. Yep. Yearly fee different range that may be greater depending on how much security you want. If you're doing a regular drive to a neighboring city that is maybe within that limits, that might be the one for you. Just kind of depends. I, uh, I have a cautionary sort of tale or I guess just a, uh, just a, uh, <laughs> a, a scary story. So, um, several years ago I was traveling with a couple of colleagues that we were doing, uh, auditions for a commercial. Mm-hmm. And we drove from Austin to, uh, I think it was Baton Rouge, I want to say. And uh, on the way back, uh, Dario, he was the guy who was driving. He had like a 90s Taurus. Blew a tire. We pulled to the side of the road. Changes the tire. The car won't start. Whatever the reason was. What? Yeah, so he calls uh, roadside assistance. <laughs> the, the tow truck shows up, puts it on the flatbed. And the driver was a large dude. And it was a single cab truck. Turns out, oh yeah, there's only <laughs> there's only room for uh, two people in the cab. So apparently, I drew the short end of the stick, and I ended up riding in the back seat of the Taurus on this flatbed truck from I think Waxahachie to Austin. I want to say it was like a 150 mile drive, just bouncing along the whole time. Well. You know, that's illegal. I, yeah, I yeah. was thinking that. That's not, um, that. That is not a legal passenger situation. The tow truck driver could definitely get in trouble for that. So don't ever do that. Yeah. So yeah, I trust me. If if I, I didn't want to in the first place, a similar situation happened during COVID because they weren't allowing passengers in the tow trucks. Oh. Oh man. Yeah. So that was a, a sticky that situation. Like a disaster. Yeah. You, know, you had to say, all right, well, I have this tow truck coming, but they won't allow me in the cab. 
and it's not legal for me to ride in my car on the back of the tow trucks. Now I also have to call somebody else for a ride or an Uber or a taxi or something. So, wow. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely a time. Well, legality aside on that matter, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but Derek, they could have just strapped you to the hood. So I think that was the better outcome. <laughs> that would have been more everything. comfortable. Yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that being like behind the axle of the tow truck. Mm. was probably pretty bouncy. It's like sitting in the back yeah. of the school bus when you're a kid. Like, yeah. bounce all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I lost a couple of fillings that night. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's no fun. That's no fun. Plus, the car wasn't running, and you were in Texas, so the air conditioning was probably important to have on. It couldn't be because it wasn't running. Well, the good thing was it was at night, and I think it was on the cooler side, but uh, still, yeah, very unpleasant. Very yeah. unpleasant. No, I, don't, I don't envy that trip at all. <laughs> <laughs> but... Derek's experience is aside, if you're just going for a drive by yourself, there should be plenty of space for you it to sit be. in the truck. Unless it's a really <laughs> big tow truck driver. Yeah. yeah. And he, he was a big boy. Even if your vehicle is reliable, at least it's peace of mind in the event that something does happen. Listen, everything's reliable until it's not. Right. So you can sit here and say your car is the most reliable car in the world, but uh, I, I could never. Everything mechanically. Everything mechanical can break. Yep. So people have brand new cars and they break driving out the lot. That's what you get a warranty for. So there's no no such thing as a guaranteed thing. You can minimize your risk by checking the car out before you leave and making sure you have the bare minimum of tools that you need to make mends on the side of the road. So let's expand it a little bit beyond that, you know, one hour drive from your house, beyond that, you know, quick trip to the car show over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Now you go to the car for a weekend trip. You know, you and your family decide, oh, I'm going to go visit grandma in Austin. And it's a 12-hour drive or probably a 14-hour drive from here, I think. I think uh, we did it a while ago. I think it's Phoenix to Austin for those who aren't uh, clear with where we're from here. Yeah, it was like 16 <laughs> or 17 hours. We split it into two days, but it, yeah, it's a yeah, It's a long drive. I've done it before, too. I think, it's, I think I did it in like 14 and a half or so. So say you're doing this and you want to go take that road trip. What do you add to that kit? Well, so this is a perfect time to bring up one of my my other unconventional one, I would say, which kind of applies to all of these road trips. But on the fun side of it, because at the end of the day, I would like to think we're all driving because we enjoy it. And so one of the things I think is good to point out, and this may not be for everybody, but looking at photo spots or even going out of town on a drive to find more interesting photo spots. I was going to bring that up on a longer trip, but it works here too. I mean, it works in every instance, right? So for a local example, uh, something I did recently is so we are in Phoenix, Arizona, and one of the beautiful cities that people may not know about here in Arizona is called Flagstaff, and it is a tree-filled city, not a desert, that snows and has all sorts of really cool photo opportunities in fall with aspen trees that shed their leaves. So I decided I wanted to take the 944 up there, and one of the main things was photo goals, and I picked a couple different areas throughout Flagstaff where I thought I could take uh, photos. it's, It's not limited to your destination, obviously. I know, Brad, in some of your road trips, you've taking photos along the way, yep, right? 100%. Multiple different stopping points throughout the trip. Um, not necessarily just the destination, but whatever seems yeah, interesting. documenting right? the trip is cool too. Right. So there's a couple different ways to go about that. So, you, you know, you don't really have to plan for it, but if you see something, I think it'd be good if you gave yourself time, if you were, you know, heading to a destination, extra time to stop for photo shoots would be. When you're idea. doing a trip that's a 14 hour trip or so, and you look at your, your Google maps before you, you leave, yeah. and it says 14 hours, mm. You're going to add some time to that anyway, yeah. because 14 hours is driving time. That doesn't mm-hmm. take take into consideration time to get out and stretch, mm-hmm. time fuel to stop. stop and smell the roses or yep. take pictures or whatever you plan on doing. Yeah, food and fuel are you know 
the most important ones. Fo- food, fuel, and sanitary stops, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are the, uh, food, fuel, and flushing. Yes. <laughs> there you go. The three Fs of road trips. <laughs> Those are important things to, to add to the time for. Mm-hmm. But if you have the luxury of extra time on your side, planning photo spots is definitely a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always done it. I think we talked about it in an earlier episode with adding value to the car. And uh, yeah. I think adding value to the car, one of the things you can history. do is documenting the history of the car. Where has mm-hmm. this car been? Has this car been in front of the Alamo? That's cool. Right. Has it also been in front of a space Mount, shuttle? Mount Rushmore? That's cool. We've so, gotten submissions with photos in front of battleships and things. Oh, 100%. And anywhere the car has been, mm-hmm. you know, tells the story of the car and it's a huge advantageous thing later on when you sell the car or if you just want to talk about the trip with your friends they probably don't want to look at pictures of your car on the side of the highway but you could probably get them to sit through looking some pictures of your car in front of mount rushmore like hey guys check out this famous monument and my car hey guys check out the alamo and my car you know <laughs> well i mean yeah you know if depending on what you're driving uh, there may be an opportunity to even take your uh vehicle back to where it was built in this particular instance i'm thinking of corvettes which obviously has a very big um following in terms of taking your vehicle back to bowling green and i know that there's all sorts of other obviously the museums there um if you want to look at documented corvettes that may or may not have fallen in a sinkhole at some point Um, you know which ones have yeah Yeah. but then there's also other areas like i know for example that there's a whiskey chain on that route so if you're in the whiskey there's actually a route you can follow stopping at several of the distilleries and things not sampling the product while driving not driving (laughs) not while driving bring the samples home yes we need to make sure we're encouraging good behavior yes everything we say is pc uh, make do it legally there is no false guidelines we're just suggesting ideas i will jump ahead a little bit i did a cross-country road trip at one point in mm-hmm. which i collected beer for somebody who lives he- out here oh uh, look at you bandit that couldn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> that couldn't get these beers in the local market so uh, i bought them in different markets and brought them but you were country. not bootlegging i was not bootlegging they're all legally purchased legally transported that's in an my important trunk. distinction yes. there there was no texas mountie chasing there you. was no no okay just tennessee just <laughs> unrelated though that's beside the point <laughs> That's anyway, a story for another time. That is a story for another time. I've told that story on my other podcast. You can go back and listen to it there. Perfect. Uh, anyway, so yes, so a longer road trip, time for photo opportunities is great. As far as preparing for the trip, would you add anything else to your kit for that trip? Portable air compressor, just in case. Okay. This is especially more important to make sure you do your research on your parts. So okay. again, back to the if something fails, absolutely. Um, do you need to make sure you have your relays fuses are a big one fuses um, are believe huge. it or not there yeah. are things that you wouldn't think that would go out that go out i know how there's i've seen vehicles where if they go over certain bumps which happens a lot on freeways something will blow and so in which case i've seen vehicles where their gps cigarette port keeps blowing so you put yeah. multiple fuses for things like that um there's lots of kits you can buy um, back to auto parts stars and things that'll actually have a miscellaneous assortment so check your car see what fuse type you have because there yep. are different fuses yeah the mini blades the big blades mm-hmm. or the old school like tube fuses euro fuses as you'll learn here, Brad, with Porsche cars that can actually be really hard to find. Yeah, they have the, t- the pointy tips on them, right? Yeah, they yeah. look they look kind of like the older style bulbs, but yes. they're fuses. Yeah, well, I have f- other older cars that have glass tube fuses. Uh, they're not glass tubes, though. 
Oh, they're plastic. Oh, yeah, so they're the plastic and, ones. And I can tell you from experience. Wire. Don't buy yeah. cheap ones because what happens is is the plastic the part of the fuse melts before the actual filament fails. That is the most unbelievable failure of a part that I've ever seen. All right, I will stock some before my road trip to. Uh, and don't buy the cheap ones. To to Reno here to get my car. Perfect. Remember that. And and fuel pump really. No, f- fuses are very important. That's that's a very simple thing because many things could cause a fuse issue. Air on a road trip, you're drinking water and soda in the car, not mm-hmm. whiskey, Jeff. Not, yep. <laughs> and you spill it, and it goes into your dashboard. It mm-hmm. can short something out and blow a fuse. Right. I know a lot of cars, uh, my Eclipse that I drive every day has a cigarette lighter port that's right next to my right hand. Mm-hmm. And if you spill something in there, mm-hmm. then you immediately blow that fuse every time. Uh, an older car could have a crack in a, a lens or an old seal is broken, and you get moisture inside of a lamp. And that will blow a fuse. I, I'm very experienced in learning what circuitry is tied into the rear lamps of a Mitsubishi car from the 70s. So it, it's all of the running lights and the interior lights and the dashboard lights. I can tell you that now. This is so. assuming your car is sorted, by the way. Obviously, there's lots of instances where certain cars will keep blowing fuses because there may be a short somewhere. Sure. If your car is not sorted, we're not taking on a road trip. We've already well, established I- that would disagree with that to an extent i'd say it depends on what it is so for example let's say your headlights are maybe not fully operational that is something you should plan into your trip yeah only driving daytime yes <laughs> so there are some certain things to understand the limits and capabilities of your vehicle do you know Can your vehicle not go up hills don't pick a hilly drive do you know what we call that um lack of planning a road an trip? acceptable level of disrepair hmm is that the legal term or is that the Brad term? That's the Brad auto off topic term. Mm. Andrew and I coined that one a while ago. He always says that I have a higher level of an acceptable level of disrepair than he does because yeah, I will live with things longer. Part of than the hobby. Yeah. yeah, part of the hobby. <laughs> yeah. We all, so, I still tinker with things. It's an in my acceptable car. level of disrepair. Talking about that fuse I was just talking about, mm-hmm. I had in that same 1978 Colt. Right. I had forever a cracked taillight lens because it's hard to find a new one. And if it rained out, I was almost guaranteed to blow the fuse that runs all the running lights and the dash mm. lights because moisture would get inside there. It would blow the light and it'd be all over. I would be deathly afraid of rain then just knowing that that fuse was going to blow. I mean, it's not, but critical. it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I brought a bunch critical. of fuses and I put a piece of tape inside of it to minimize the risk, but eventually it would fail because tape doesn't hold up also when it gets wet and <laughs> eventually it gets through. And at the time I lived in new England where if it's not, raining it's gonna rain sometime soon so i drove the car in the rain a lot so i had to deal with it and live with it and life goes on it's fixed now but yeah you know what at this point something i want to point out and if it's not clear by now um we have experienced all of these which is where this has come from which is why every single thing we say has had a story so far sure i've driven I, I have stories for the headlights and brad's got i've driven stories. 40 year old cars across the country mm-hmm. like three thousand mile road trips so I, I've, I, I'm preaching from experience. And here, what kind of cars sure. have you driven across the country, Brad? Uh, I, I drove a 1983 Plymouth Sapporo. Wow. Which is an old Mitsubishi again. It's a Mitsubishi Gallant rebadged. Right. I drove the 93 Eclipse that I was talking about before mm-hmm. across country. And I've driven these not only across. I drove my 1978 Toyota Cressida from here to California, which is, you know, not insignificant trip it was still a seven hour seven hour trip 14 hours round trip so i've done this stuff i'm speaking from experience for sure right that's where i want to add more things Uh driving cross country Mm -hmm. this is where i add many more parts brad's a professional here yeah i don't know professional i've managed to pull it off each time but professional might not be the word nobody paid me to do it i think that's the term right you're experienced experienced yeah it's worth more than money you become professional when somebody pays you to do it right so 
Yeah. I add more things when I'm going more than a day trip. I consider, because I'm an insane person, Austin, Texas from here, 14-hour drive, that's a day trip. (laughs) That's a long day, man. But it's a day trip because I'll do a cross-country in three days, which is 3,200 miles. Actually, I most recently did it in a 1997 Saab 9000. So while 97 doesn't sound that old to your brain... Old that car is 25 years old now. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. And there are not Saab dealers on every street corner. So it's not... Oh, what uh, happened to them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they build jets. So they can overnight it. Do we, have, do we have time for another story? No. <laughs> yeah. They have jets. So, yeah, so I've done, I've done this trip a lot. And, you know, I, as I met, alluded to earlier, I'm from New England. I grew up just north of Boston and Salem. And I moved it here to Phoenix. And I have a lot of vehicles. And I thought it would be fun to drive them across country versus paying somebody to have them shipped on a truck so while i haven't driven every car across country i have driven a bunch and i've driven even a modern car probably four or five times across country because turns out i really like doing it yeah it's a lot of fun surprise yeah, driving is my favorite thing like i'm i'm real good at it i think so <laughs> it's the thing i'm best at in life so i want to do it plus you get to see things you know i've probably driven in 38 out of the 40 38 38 out of the 48 lower states wow so i've got a few to go but most of them are done. Maybe even more. I'll do the math later. But I also like to add common failure parts that are maybe not a common failure for that car in particular, mm-hmm. but a common failure for cars in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not drive a 1983 Plymouth Sapporo across country without bringing a spare alternator. Okay. A spare fuel pump. Wow. Okay, that's a good one. All the spare belts. All the tools to fix all this stuff with. Mm-hmm. Electric diagnostic tool a multimeter which is okay you there's a couple ways there right if you have a newer if your vehicle's 96 or newer an obd is a an obd scanner would be great and when i when i drove my 2013 jetta across country four different times Mm -hmm. i had a scanner with me the whole time Mm -hmm. so if anything did happen i could scan it immediately and figure out what was happening yep um so those those parts to me were always important because fuel pumps always fail yep alternators always fail every car that's been sitting ever I, I drove a 1987 uh, Starion, a Conquest technically, but Mitsubishi Starion mm-hmm. from Boston to North Carolina for the Tale of the Dragon US-129 Okay, to run laps of US-129 a bunch and have some fun just playing with my sports car in the mountains. And I blew an alternator on day two while I was there hmm. and spent an entire day trying to find an alternator. So from this point forward, I bring an alternator on a big trip like that because I can get one in a few days, but I don't want to waste a few days waiting for it on the road. Right. So in that case, I never wound up finding an alternator. What I did was I, I we wound up finding a shop that rebuilt alternators, and they were able to have the internal parts to rebuild the alternator, but nobody had, believe it or not, a 35-year-old car's alternator sitting on the shelf. So. Yeah. So that's a good point, too. I've actually recently gone through some alternator stuff with my car um, prior to it going through its sure. dramatic fire phase. Um, but... Just because it seems like some parts might be available, you want to do your research. Some of the parts yep. I picked up, when I actually got the part, things happen with the aftermarket companies, and it's not quite right. And so you need to make sure, even if you think AutoZone has one available, it might not be the right one sure. you need. So you might have to have somebody rebuild it, or sure. maybe order one in advance that might take two weeks to ship, but at least you'll have one. That's what I'm saying. Or the stuff you might need like that in advance. Mm-hmm. You can't obviously predict anything. You could lose a motor in the middle of Kentucky. You could lose a motor anywhere. Just who knows? Well, that's... Anything yeah. can happen. Catastrophic right. failure can happen. But if you can prepare for the minor inconveniences, uh, I've, I've changed fuel pumps on the side of the road 
I've changed alternators in the side of the road. I've changed belts in the side of the road. So those are the things that I'm pretty sure that I'm going to carry all the time on a long distance road trip now. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, now that you mentioned that one thing I would bring up is spare tires and this seems like a, a duh moment, but it turns yeah. out there are lots of cars that may have a very, very old spare tire, depending yep. on how it's been attended to, or in some cases like 944s have what's called a compact spare sure. and where it's intended to blow out. But uh, those aren't really manufactured in the same modern reliable way, but there is plenty of room to throw a full size spare sure. in the ha- rear hatch yep. of a 944. Yep. Uh, your spare tire is an often overlooked part. Yes. It's hidden away in most cars. You can't see it. You don't think about it. Mod- a lot of modern cars actually, we'll thankfully. Come with the green slime. Well, a lot of modern cars, them. thankfully, at least do have a tire pressure sensor in the spare tire. Mm. So that allows mm-hmm. you at least know that it has air in it. But you're right. Some modern cars don't even come with a spare anymore. They just come with tire slime, which infuriates your yeah. local tire shop. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. From my understanding, the tire is almost unusable, right? I. And so the, it could be used if you spend a lot of time cleaning it out, but your local tire shop's not going to want to do that. Yeah, yeah they're no going to sell you a new tire. Uh, another good point to bring up is some of the either like not full size spares, some of the inflatable spares, or even slime actually have mileage restrictions, mileage and speed sure. restrictions, which a lot yeah. of people don't read their the directions and understand. Yeah, yeah, some of them are limited to 55, like trailer style. And they mean and then, it. Yeah, some of them yeah. are like 120, 150 mile range tops. Um, I have some never less. I have never made it home on a Space Saver spare. Wow. Never made, I mean, I've had a couple of times where I've put them on the car to mm-hmm. try to get home and I've never made it home. So there you go. There's what, again they experience. Or? They blow out or they won't hold air or yeah, oh, man. They're, just, yeah. they're just look at that because the cars are old. Number one. Yeah. You know, it's tires have a shelf life, mm-hmm. especially when they're in the back. Like there's so much heat usually where they're stored. Sure. There's no UV. So usually they're not dry. Truck storm outside. Yep. Yeah. You just you never. Yeah. They're not. They're not reliable. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that is a good point. When I so the Sapporo that I drove across country and mm-hmm. does have a space saver spare, and I did bring a full size mm-hmm. spare with me. Nice. So for that that's, same reason, that's the right way to do it. I, I'm pretty sure if I needed to get a tire somewhere along the way, I could. But I want to be able to drive at least to the tire shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, despite that's being, the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Despite being 2022, there are still plenty of roads where you won't have service in some parts. Yep. So yeah, unless you absolutely. have a satellite phone, which you probably don't have, which you probably don't have, yeah. most people don't. Just something to consider. And that that brings me to, I was thinking of, you know, contingencies and you touched upon, you know, not having service. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea to have an up-to-date paper map, worst case scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always carry a paper map on a long trip. So it helps a lot because you can look at the greater picture, whereas try looking at a map of a whole state on your cell phone and figure out routes, especially when you're trying to plan stops, whether you're trying to find like, all right, say I'm in Texas and I want to make it to Austin, but I also want to make it to Dealey Plaza in Dallas, and I also want to see the Alamo. You can't just, I, mean, I guess you could put those three things in your GPS and it would take you the most direct route there, mm-hmm. but it's not the most fun route usually, or not the most scenic route. And if you have that map book in front of you, you can get a better look of the whole state and decide how am I going to go from point A to point B to point C and see as many things as I can possibly see without my phone deciding it for me. That's a huge part for me mm-hmm. of a road trip. And one thing that you know, Naomi and I do is we track all our trips in this same atlas and we have mm. them all highlighted in different color highlighters across the country. So That's every cool. time we do a trip, we now have this book of history of us driving across country in multiple trips and each one with little tags. And it's 
we're a little crazy, so it's corresponded to no, our, that's, you know, our Instagram posts. I can and, appreciate that. Which is that's another nice, thing yeah. to bring up is, especially in the old car community, this can go both ways, so be a little, a little skeptical. But I have met the nicest people in the car community by just being into old cars mm-hmm. and doing things with them. I'm confident that because of social media, which is obviously good and bad, yep. but the good side of it, the good side of it, I found, I'm confident that in most areas of this country, there's somebody I know now through vintage cars on the internet that could lend a hand if needed. <laughs> so it might sound silly, but part of prepping for a road trip is knowing where you're going and maybe knowing some people in that area and maybe being a little bit public about the road trip. I probably wouldn't put down like the hotels I'm staying at every night, but just, I usually update my Instagram and stuff as I'm going along and people I know have followed along and offered help and offered Mm -hmm. to meet up and Hey, let's go grab dinner when you're passing through Ohio or let's grab dinner when you're passing through Colorado. And I've done that all the way across the country with car people I've known only from the internet. And it's super, it makes the big world we live in a lot smaller and less scary. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've, I've seen some other examples of that, um, both stuff I've done personally and stuff I've seen. Um, even complete strangers, generally car people will always offer to help other car people. 100%. So if they see you on the side of the road in what is clearly a collector vehicle, generally people who have collector vehicles will also stop and offer to help. If I see you on the road in a car that's a clean old car, mm-hmm. I will 100% stop and ask if you need help. Mm-hmm. I always do. Yep. It's just my thing. Yeah, I pushed one into my yep. apartment complex parking lot one time that sure. was just outside. So Yeah, I always offer hand with tools offer somebody you know hey i can Mm -hmm. go get you some fuel or some water or whatever Mm -hmm. you need to survive yeah yeah Um, it's it's a good thing to know that you know there can be a lot of you know scary people out there there's a lot of negativity out there Mm -hmm. but yeah you know if more than once i've been in a jam where you know uh, i had to change the tire on a expedition it was giant like 22 inch wheel and tire very heavy and i was Mm -hmm almost halfway through it and um this guy a diesel mechanic stopped and he saw me from you know yards away he was tooling along and he saw me on the side of the road changing this thing total stranger just takes time out of his schedule i guess he was on his way home or whatever just pulls over gets out his uh, impact wrench does it for me right there you know speeds wow. saved me probably 20 minutes. half an hour yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah. you know with the hand tools like you can do it sure but it your scissor jacks and your sure. yeah oh yeah exactly, now that's yeah. this is another example of things that i bring on a longer road trip going across country uh the power tools come with mm. and a better jack than the um widow maker i really oh. appreciate <laughs> i really appreciate scissor jacks they've done a lot for me yeah well they don't they don't have the name Widowmaker for nothing. Right. Uh, especially the Volkswagen Definitely ones. Definitely Don't get under a Volkswagen proper with jack the, spare, stands. the spare jack. It's not even the full like diamond-shaped one. It's only like a V. And it's oh, super, man. super unsteady, and it's terrible, and it's scary, and it's no good. And especially with Volkswagens where they don't even have lug. They have the lug bolts, not the other way around with a bolt that goes on the stud. There's no stud. So you have to have this balance jack while you're putting the wheel on and you have to turn it and sometimes the cal- the the disc turns and the hole doesn't line up and the whole car is shaking and it's scary so Agreed. bring a good jack bring yeah bring the stuff that's gonna have you'll have a good type uh, yeah 100 on the side of the road like you know granted it adds a little bit of weight 
but taking proper jack stands and things would be a huge plus. I've, I've learned in my years of doing road trips that having the right equipment makes the trip go by faster. And the job is faster if it comes I mean, up. honestly, sure, there's stores every 10 feet, it seems, driving across the country, but just having a cooler in the car with cold waters and mm-hmm. maybe a, a seltzer, or, seltzers or energy drinks or sodas or whatever, whatever you prefer. All the, the non-alcoholic <laughs> beverages that you prefer on ice and even doing a multi-day trip, some some bread and some sandwich meat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you drive down the road and you just need something and something that's just enough to keep you going for another two hours until you reach your destination. So the in more some, things you bring, the better. In some small towns, like, you know, if it's around dinner time or certain, it's past a certain time of the night, they're not closed. even open. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, I used to live in a town like that where 8 o'clock, roll the sidewalks up and you had to drive 45 minutes away to get anything, so... I appreciate that part for sure. So bring the stuff with you that you know is going to bring you comfort in your day. So snacks you like, food you like, um, drinks you like. I try to stay away from carbs on a road trip because... Remember, you are sitting doing nothing during the driving part. uh, Well, yeah, kind of. Maybe adjusting your cruise control here and there if your car hasn't. But carbs might give you energy. Sugar might give you energy. Right. But you crash on all of them. Yeah, and hopefully so not in the, do the not worst sense. Grab a milkshake. Do not. No milkshakes. No milkshakes. No. no, milk was a terrible choice. Yeah, do not. <laughs> do not go anywhere near a milkshake, no matter how good it sounds. Unless it's just like a Friday night cruise in your hometown, don't touch it. Yeah, yeah the, the evening cruise is fine, but yes. no, I would not have a milkshake on a cross-country drive. Do not. That is for sure. Touch one. And try, try to avoid heavily sugared things. Yes. And honestly, I try to avoid... Uh, drinks like energy drinks and stuff on a road Mm -hmm. trip too until it's the very end of the drive and man i got an hour left before i hit the hotel and or i hit the campground or wherever i'm staying for the night and i just i need that little extra boost and have an energy drink then but yeah sorry i'm wired the whole time no i can't do it i am a caffeine addict nope because i don't want to have that crash because i can i can drive 14 16 18 hours if i don't have that energy crash Mm -hmm. but once i start getting like carbs and sugar and too much caffeine some of us drive at 11 tenths with the wired caffeine sure i I think it's one of those (laughs) things where you you want to use it only when you need it you don't want to pregame with caffeine i mean i wouldn't want to to because yeah you have the crash yeah use it when you need it at the very end yeah it's the most this guy just full throttle on the can (laughs) only going full throttle here (laughs) (laughs) we're just living a little bit dangerously is all um I want to jump back to a point you make earlier, actually. So we've been talking mostly about road trips. In this day and age, I've gone on several off-road trips. Um, obviously, with the advent of safari vehicles and a lot of overlanding vehicles, yep. I want to touch base and say um, some of the things that I've seen my off-road friends uh, put aside as well. So things like axles, believe it or not, are things oh, that I've seen need yep. to get swapped Especially on trips Especially if you like have that. a independent suspension, yes, independent front suspension truck. A portal axle if you got an H1. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is a very niche podcast now. Well, you know. All right, listen, podcast uh, uh, H1 owners. Hummers. Here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Energy drinks, Hummers. Let's go. All right. So, off road stuff, totally different. We could do an entire hour on off road stuff. Yes. I, I think the, the main thing that I bring different on an off road trip, because I've also done some off road trips, I've done some multi day camping off road trips. Um, you want to make sure, obviously, you have more toiletries. Right. Uh, you want to make sure you have a shovel, lots of trash bags, um, because you don't want to leave a mess anywhere in the woods. Please don't. We hate when you do that. Pack Clean in, back pack out. Yep. Yeah. Pack in, pack out, and pack out other stuff. People left there. Yep. Um, you obviously are going to have more. You're going to have more cargo. It depends on the kind of trip you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I would say at a bare minimum, a a shovel would be good. Whatever additional parts now you say you mentioned axles. My point is, think about relevant to what you're doing with the vehicle. Yes. Yeah. 
Yep. Driving across country, just going point to point is one thing. Driving across country, doing something like a drag week is something different. You know, right. There's always going to be a different one lap of America. It's different. There's mm-hmm. always going to be, you know, extreme use cases. Doesn't make sense. I yeah. think we're just talking about the general road trip. Like, hey, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go visit my family in Oklahoma. It's 12 hours away. What do I need to bring? Oh, you know what? Now that I'm kind of upset we didn't bring this up earlier, actually. Uh, the obvious, especially for older cars, uh, coolant and oil. You yeah. should at least have like oh, a, fluids, a quart 100%. of oil, yeah, you're right. that, especially if you know it leaks. I think that was too obvious we didn't even bring it up. <laughs> yeah, that's probably part of the problem, right? Um, most and of a us, funnel. Yeah, I know for a fact that I have a plastic grocery bag to make sure it doesn't get in my interior of yep. a quart of oil with a funnel. Yep. Thank you, Derek. And then I have coolant as well. Um, so it depends on your use case. I'm a little bit, the, the coolant my car doesn't really need. I'm just paranoid because when those fuses failed, my fans went off sure. and the car overheated a little bit. At the end of the day, if you're in a pinch, you can use water. Correct. So it's fine. Don't leave water in there because water yes. causes rust. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those big things that really bugs me out here in the Southwest. A lot of people in the 60s and 70s would be like, ah, it doesn't freeze here. I don't need antifreeze. I'll just put in water. And now you deal with rusty cooling systems. Right. And if you have a choice, you should try to use distilled water. Uh, I'm just saying in an emergency situation, right? you can find a gas station with a hose. Correct. You can put, fuel flu- uh, put fluid in the car. Correct. So... I think it's a pretty good uh, quick synopsis here of what to bring with. Maybe let uh, let people know where your road trip is so that if yep. you go on a road trip and, hey, I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving Nashville today and I hope to be in Austin, Texas by tonight. This is the route I plan on taking. If, uh, if you don't hear from me when I wind up in Austin, then, you know. Hey, send out the uh, send out the cavalry, but this is where I'm going. So maybe it's a good safety point is to let somebody know where you're going to mm-hmm. plan on being. And right. you can you can set it up in your uh, at least with the iPhones, you can set it up to where somebody can track your location. So yeah, you can do it Google Maps. So. Or hear me out, road trip with your other car friends in their cool old cars. That's also cool, but mm-hmm. not always uh, not always an option. Not always an yeah. option. But and as somebody who's done that many times, sometimes your other car friends get annoyed and they want to go ahead or there you get annoyed and you want to go ahead. You don't want to be together the whole time. Well, tell them slow vehicles are more fun. Well, it is what it is. I'm talking more multiple stops. The more, That's fair. the more people you bring on your trip, the longer it's going to take because the more times you're going to need to stop because as many times as I can say, all right, guys, we're stopping here. Get your drinks, use your facilities. Somebody's going to not do one or the other. And an hour later, be like, <laughs> I need to stop again. <laughs> so it happens every time. So, I do enjoy the road trip with friends. The camaraderie is nice. Pick the right friends. Even the right friends sometimes don't do it right. I do enjoy that. Um, But my personal favorite is just driving in the one car, nothing Mm -hmm. else, gone. So there's there's good examples of both. And I've had great trips with friends. I've had great trips with me and Naomi in the car. I've had great trips with me in one car, another friend in another car. And I've had great trips with just me just back in the miles in the car all by myself. So I guess it all depends. As long as I'm putting the miles in the car and enjoying the car, I'm having a good time. Yeah, you can't yeah. go wrong. I mean, as long as you're driving, it's it's fun in some way. That's, That's why sure. we're here. That's why we love cars. That's why you're listening to a podcast about cars. Like, at the end of the day, we all love driving. Mm-hmm. We might not love driving every day to and from work and sitting in traffic, right? but we all do love the driving. The freedom of the car is why we love oh, the car. Yeah. We, I, yep. we, I, I, could, I could tomorrow just say, hey, I'm quitting this job, I'm getting in my car, and I'm driving to Seattle for fun. 
Oh yeah, that I wouldn't. I would do that. That itch. But people do that. Sunday morning, you wake up. You go. You know what? It's pretty nice out to have the windows. Down. I can't tell you how many days that we wake up on like a Sunday morning and we get up and we're walking around. And we're like, you know what? Let's take a two-hour drive for brunch. Right. Yeah. Let's, almost let's, let's go up to Jake's Corner, Arizona, and get lunch there. Like, let's, right. let's do some dumb trip mm-hmm. just because we can. Right. So. Obviously, with fuel at five bucks a gallon, it's a little more spendy of a, <laughs> a thought yeah. right now, but that's for another day as well. So, to wrap things up today, gentlemen, yep, we do have some cars live on the site as always. Yep, have we picked our pick of the week? Oh yes, yes. All Absolutely. right, I think we were going to start with Jeff this time. I need to go before Derek just in case because Jeff thinks he picked possibly the same car it's, as Derek. I don't think it, there. Okay. There's just a chance that Derek may have picked this car, and so I need to go first so Derek can use his backup in that instance. I don't have a backup <laughs> this week, so this is okay. This is my car because I lust after one of these in my garage. Well, I'm going third, so if you both pick my car and my backup, then I'm in trouble. Nah, there's well, no... Uh, I don't think that. you would have picked this car, Brad. I don't think it's your speed necessarily, um, but I picked the beautiful gold 1986 Mercedes-Benz 560 SL, and... I know I talk about R107s all the time, but the main reason I picked this one is because it's a 560. So this is the Big Daddy 5.6 liter V8, and this one's gorgeous. I love this gold color because I feel like you don't see a whole lot of them in that shade. I, see, I feel like it's mostly blue silvers. Okay. Uh, maybe lots of whites, sometimes red. I hated these cars for a long time. Personal preference, I just didn't like them. Really? I never, thought, I never really got them. Um, as I'm more exposed to them, I like them a lot. I think they're a great looking car. They're not, I think my thing with it was it was a small two seat sports car that wasn't a sports car. I was going to say, it's it's got the SL name, which right. is stands for sports liked. Sure. Which it's not. It's a very heavy car. Um, the five sixes are kind of known for squatting when they take off because yeah. of the high horsepower, um, not so great suspension stiffness. Um, but they did race these. So these have race heritage. Yep. Um, in a couple different areas, both rally and on-road stuff. So I love these cars. But this is a awesome example. They come with hard tops, which is really cool. Yep. Um, so the hard top convertible cars, I think they're gorgeous, as Brad said. Um, so this is this is my car because I want one of these in my garage. Yeah, I've, I've I've come around on those cars a lot, and I would definitely drive one now. I think I can more appreciate the top-down just slow cruise in the right lane more than I used to. It'll still get up and go. This will do modern. No, 100%. But I just think that because the car is a sports car, not a sports car, Mm -hmm. it was always like, why does that exist? It's Yes. It's the SL name's weird. It's like a cruiser. It's a cruiser. I I totally get it. It's it's a a top-down date night, like just have a good time meandering car. And I'm into that now. Yeah, I didn't used to be into that as much. I'm more into that now. I, I'm picturing yeah. it as like a kind of a Radwood car because it's the age, but I'm also picturing top-down gold Rolex brick brick cell phone. Sure. I don't know where I'm going to get car a stir. Rolex <laughs> in my $15,000 Mercedes. Yeah. but <laughs> Well, it just has that, that image to it, yeah. like the 80s, you know. Uh, Catch me flash. in my all-white suit with my uh, neon-colored swatch driving my SL. <laughs> All right, Derek, what is your choice for the week? All right. Uh, Jeff, that was not my first pick or my alternate. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. My pick for the week, 1966 Cadillac DeVille four-door convertible. 429 big block, white seats. Yeah. That one's nice. There's some questions about this car. Um, It's really well done. 
Cadillac officially didn't make a four-door convertible. The top of this car is operable. Normally, you see like a 66 Cadillac sedan with the roof off. There is no roof. This car has a right. fully functional convertible top that looks factory when it's up. There are some rumors out there that it's a factory conversion, not an aftermarket conversion. Hmm. And they built like so many of them and sold them from the dealerships. Okay. But the numbers I'm finding are like 14, <laughs> and there's no documentation to back that up. So I don't think I can say that with any kind of actuality behind it. So I would picture it as like an aftermarket conversion. Like they did like Strauman CRXs in the 80s with CRXs made in convertibles or the American Sunroof Corporation did the Celicas and did the the 70s Celicas and they did Sun Chasers. So those were kind of cool. Those those are done aftermarket by ASC or Strauman. It's going to say so, new challengers, I believe, have an correct. Is an aftermarket well. kit to make a convertible. So my assumption is that this is a aftermarket kit for the convertible. Um, either way, I one hundred percent agree with you. I love sixty six Coupe Devilles. Uh, I also love sixty six Sedan Devilles. I really like sixty sixty two to sixty six. To me, is like the best Cadillacs. They're big. They, they look like a brick that's all they are they're a piece of, they're big slab of cement they're big slabs they of cars slab shaped hoods they're just flat they're huge you Soft can put suspension every friend you know can go in the car with you and just go across country yeah at eight miles per gallon I like the interior the too yeah they're yeah, super cool car. cars they're super cool cars i was mistaken it doesn't have white seats it has, it has a white top and teal seats that's yeah, why i a, like it so much i love the colored interior teal on teal yeah yeah the the Color match interior is a very 60s. I very think that's 60s why I like vibe. it so much. I totally do. The greens it. and the blue interiors. And I love the fact that, like, if you got your friends in this, you don't even have to move your tilt your seat forward for them to get in the back. They have their own door. Sure. Everybody's comfortable. Door, just jump over the sill, man. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Actually, don't do that. That's very disrespectful. <laughs> so I had a hard time picking a car because there are two cars this week that I would 100% drive. Both of them have manual transmissions, which is going to be my my um, tiebreaker point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is a Japanese car, and that's me. I love Japanese cars. Shocker. And one of which is a German car of the same era. Oh, I know. So we have a 1980 Toyota Celica mm-hmm. with yep. 60,000 original miles on it. It's a second-gen wow. Celica. It's that's not low. the most loved body style of the Celicas. They have a certain charm to them, much like you said with race history. These cars were used in the World Rally Championship, mm-hmm. so they were super cool, and most cars I like have race history because that's kind of my thing. It's um, a good-looking car. It's a great-looking car. It's got really cool like plaid pattern on the seats, the blue dash, the blue interior over the silver car, the manual transmission. It's everything I'd want in that generation Celica, and I can picture buying that car and throwing a set of period-correct aftermarket wheels on it maybe a couple inches lower and using that car as a, you know, my favorite type of driving is going up in the mountain passes. You know, that's why I love the old, my old Dodge rear wheel drive Dodge Colts and my Eclipse and those smaller, not super fast sports cars. That being said, the only reason I didn't pick that car is because we also have a 1979 BMW 320i, Mm. which is kind of, it's the first three series. It was kind of a stopgap car between the BMW 2002 and the iconic BMW E30. So this was the E21 chassis BMW. It has the really the typical 70s German material on the seats. It's kind of like a beige color over a tan interior. Um, it has a 
in my opinion, aftermarket set of wheels that would change, but they don't look terrible. I could live with them for a while. Um, they're not a very often seen car. They have pop-out quarter windows. They handle pretty well. They're very sp- they're a, a car you can drive spiritingly without putting a bunch of money into and enjoy it. And there's a burgeoning community for these. And I think that because 2002 values have gone up so high and BMW E30 values are going also through the roof, you can't buy an E30 now for a two-door nice E30 is 15, 20 grand now, right? Yes. So I think the 320Is, the next ones to really pop, the E21 chassis cars, because they're kind of that tweener. You know, they're still very 2002, but they're also a little bit E30. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're uh, they're a market that now is the time to get into it. This car, other than the wheels, is 100% OEM. And I think you could do a couple of minor little bolt-on things, enjoy the car, maybe an exhaust, maybe some wheels. It's um, a fun color, too. It's kind of like a Pasadena yellow. It's a, it's a neat color. Uh, which I probably wouldn't have said 15 years ago. I've been like painting different colors. Oh, color, I but love, now I love it. I love older colors, especially yeah, Porsches. I, I really like the color a lot. Um, yeah, so that's the car I, I, w- I would pick this week because, again, my style of my, my style of driving is, you know, mountain passes, corners. You can't go wrong with the vintage BMW. And the, sure. and the reason I picked the BMW over the Celica is the Celica is a solid or axle car. Right. And this is an IRS car. Does it... I mean, most of my cars are solid or axle anyway, but I think that that gave me the edge on this, and I would definitely buy this car. And if I wasn't going to pick up that 944 in a couple of weeks, I might be bidding on this car myself. Yeah. So this, this is a very good car. So that's that's my choice. But Yeah, God, uh, the interior design on both of those cars is phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's I think, simple. I think we can probably all agree that the Celica would be the runner-up for all of us. I, I would probably take that as my... I think it's a great car. Yeah, yeah. that Celica's... So nice. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think that's going to make an episode. So please visit us at autohunter.com. Please visit classiccars.com. We do have a new page on autohunter.com that maybe you found this through. It's the media page. If you're listening to us, we also have a bunch of new videos live on YouTube. Uh, Our media guy, Dustin, put together a killer video. They are very well done. He put together a killer video with our marketing manager, Jordan, in which you learn about Jordan's c4 corvette his history with cars where he got his car passion from and uh it almost makes you cry at the end he's got that way he's got a lot of hair jerker yeah Yeah. so it doesn't do a hell of a job putting these videos together Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple of them star our uh our podcast guy right here jeff Uh, who yeah this guy this guy (laughs) on my left um he talks about cars he sees at barrett jackson i think is that basically what they have you doing so far uh yeah um we're we're still figuring it out so there's more to come um, for sure uh, but uh, yeah for the moment um, we have lots of content from the Palm Beach auction here so our big our big thing here is we're trying to expand beyond just being the auction company we're trying mm-hmm. to have a little bit more personality a little more content some stuff that you can enjoy if you like old cars come follow our stuff and yeah. uh, we'll see you next week yep we are in fact car people too it turns out so a hundred percent that's why we're here oh yeah yeah hundred percent all right gentlemen. Thanks for listening to Drive the Bid. Thanks for recording Drive the Bid with me. And we'll chat to y'all later. Sounds good. See ya.